Amen. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. If you'll read with me. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Cornelius uh, was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his home city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her first son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and singing. Glory, you're saying, glory to God in the highest and peace, goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby and the babe lying in the manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying, which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, giving, uh, returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told uh, them. You know, Luke 2, in my mind, is probably one of the most beloved portions of Scripture in regards to the Christmas story. If for no other reason than, uh, you know, Linus quoting it in the penis special, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas, I don't know. I can remember, and maybe you can remember too as a child. You know, I mean, you looked forward to watching the Christmas specials that came on. And, and uh, you know, it was part of the, the family Christmas traditions to just gather around the TV, watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and, and the Peanuts Christmas. Uh, it's a Charlie, uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas. You know, and every year at the very end, Linus uh, would recite Luke 2, verses 1 through 20 from memory. How amazing was that? He, okay, he wasn't a real character. You know, an actor read it. But you know what? Linus portrayed somebody that knew the word, recited it from memory, revealing to all the true meaning of Christmas. No one knows for sure when Jesus was born, but it's almost certainly not on December 25th. During the time uh, that Constantine was the emperor of Rome, he made the Edict of Toleration in 312, uh, proclaiming Christianity to be a state religion. And so what was done was they took 
all these pagan celebrations and substituted them with Christian holidays. And December 25th was chosen to be the day that, was, uh, that we would celebrate the birth of Christ. The incarnation of our Lord is not merely just a doctrinal tenet about which theologians of different schools of thought may hold various views. It's actually a glorious reality. It's a fact. It's a wonderful fact. Apart from which there could be no salvation for sinful man. Galatians 4, 4 through 5, Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. The miraculous birth of our Savior is one of the foundation stones of the Christian faith. And it's the um, uh, companion truth to his substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. And there are many, many prophecies regarding the Savior coming into the world. Probably the most famous of them, you get a Christmas card probably every year, uh, Isaiah 6, 9, which says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And in that verse it says, for unto us a child is born. It's speaking of Jesus' humanity is 100% man. Unto us a son, speaking of his divinity, he's 100% God. And, and you know, I like math as much as the next guy, but it, how anyone can be 200% of anything, it's actually the mystery of godliness. Unto us a son is given, speaking of his life, given as a ransom to redeem lost mankind. Right? The prophecy of Isaiah written 700 years before the birth of Jesus clearly describes the Messiah, the Savior of the world, as divine, calling him Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we've learned in recent studies that phrase, Prince of Peace, can also be translated Source of Peace. In Ephesians 2.14, it says regarding Jesus, for he himself is our peace. After placing our faith in Jesus, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, some of the other prophecies include Isaiah 7, 14, which says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. His name Emmanuel declares who he truly is. Jesus is God with us. Micah 5, 2 says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. And this prophecy clearly uh, declares that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And you know what? It makes complete sense. 
I mean, where else would the Messiah be born but in Bethlehem? Where else would the son of David be born other than in the house of, uh, uh, in the city of David? Where else would the bread of life be born other than in Bethlehem, the house of bread? I mean, it just makes sense that Jesus would be born there. And I wonder, as I've thought about this this week, I've wondered if Mary, towards the end of her pregnancy, was aware of this prophecy, stating that her son must be born in Bethlehem. It's about a hundred-mile journey from Nazareth up to Bethlehem in the south. And, you know, by car it takes about two hours, but imagine walking that. Walk a hundred miles. How long would it take? Now, imagine taking that trip with a pregnant wife. And imagine now taking that trip on the back of a donkey as a pregnant wife. In order to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem so that Jesus could be born there fulfilling prophecy, God puts it into Caesar's heart for the world to be taxed, requiring every individual to return to the city of their birth. And even though Caesar may have been ruling the world at the time, God is the one that, who, who is in charge. And this shows us the link that God is willing to go to, moving hundreds of thousands of people around the Roman Empire in order that one prophecy of the Old Testament might be fulfilled so that the Christ might be born in Bethlehem. God is willing to go to extraordinary links beyond what any of us could even begin to imagine to fulfill his promises made to each one of us. We're told in verse 7 here in Luke chapter 2 that it says that there was no room for them in the inn. There was no room, no place for the Son of God in the inn, but there was a place. There was room for him in a stable among the cattle. And we shouldn't picture in our mind, you know, some kind of barn, you know, with a hayloft made out of wood. And that shouldn't be what we're, we're thinking of. Instead, it was probably a small cave or a stone, uh, you know, enclosure, a place where sheep and goats were kept. And after Mary gave birth to Jesus, we read that she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, which is actually just a feeding trough, right? Think of God's blessed son, leaving the glory of heaven, leaving the perfect union and communion, the loving fellowship of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, leaving the worship of angels, becoming a man in order to redeem lost mankind, and then being born in a stable, laid to sleep in a feeding trough. I mean, think of the depths of love that would move God to conceive of such a plan. A plan that would result in the salvation of those who place their faith in Jesus Christ as, your, as their Savior. You know, I think our familiarity with the Christmas story robs us of all but a trace of awe and wonder. It says in verse 7, as she brought forth her firstborn son, and one of the striking things about Luke's narrative is how simple it is in contrast to how great these events are. 
right? In our modern day and culture, small events are often inflated, presented, uh, presenting them uh, to people as more important than they actually are. And yet under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke presents this, the most amazing event of all time in an understated manner. And in verse 8, we read, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. In these days, shepherds, they had kind of a bad reputation, right? They were banned from giving testimony in a legal proceeding because they were considered unreliable. Their work made them ceremonially unclean. And their work kept them away from the temple for weeks at a time uh, so that they could not be made clean. And these lowly shepherds, I mean, the bottom rung of society, you know, they're, they're the social outcasts of the Jewish people are the very one that God's angels appear to, right? They were the first to hear of Jesus' birth. These shepherds had heard of angels appearing in the past, but it's been 400 years since the last of the prophets. And there has been no authentic record of angels being seen on earth. Not until Gabriel appeared to Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, who was serving in the temple. And in verse 9, it says, an angel of the Lord stood before them. Interrupting this quiet night, was the presence of an angel and the glory of the Lord shone all about them. All heaven was suddenly, all the night sky was suddenly illuminated with an overwhelming brilliance of the glory of God. And these majestic beings, these angels appear to mortal man. And we read in verse 9 that the shepherds were greatly afraid. Well, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, put yourself in their shoes. The night is instantaneously so bright, it's like looking straight into the sun. You, you, can't, you can't open your eyes in the face of the glory. Right? And the angels brought good tidings, or literally they brought good news. They proclaimed good news. Right? In other words, these angels preached the gospel to these shepherds right, who were regarded as social outcasts. And the angel said to them, verse 10, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Now, I find it interesting uh, that it was an angel that proclaimed the good tidings, or literally the good news of the birth of Jesus Christ. The first preacher of the gospel was an angel. But now God has taken that honor away from them and given it to us to tell others about Jesus Christ. And the angel said, I bring unto you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. The result of Christ's birth is great joy. Right? All of nature trembles in the presence of God. These shepherds, they were greatly afraid, we read. But the angels said, this is an occasion of great joy. How wonderful that the message God sent to all mankind via this angel is 
fear not. It's a message of joy. If good tidings was all that this angel brought, that would be joyful in and of itself. But he didn't just bring good tidings of joy only. He brought good tidings of great joy. That's what it says. From that moment forward, mankind no longer has to shake in fear of a holy God because God has made a way for those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, both access to his throne and then also intimate fellowship with him. The angels' good tidings of great joy is to all people, not just for the elect, not just for Israel, not just for evangelicals. It's not limited to a certain number. It's for all people and for each person individually. All men everywhere are invited to put their trust in the Savior which God has sent into the world. If never a present was opened on December 25th, if there was never another reason for joy, there's more than ample reason to rejoice at the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to die. The Christ came to be crucified. The innocent came to shed his blood for the guilty so that mankind might be saved. That's reason for holy joy in the Lord. In regards to this story, there's no fear of having too much joy. I mean, we can never have too much joy. There's no fear of, or of running into an excess of joy when his grace and love is poured out upon us. Sin separates sinful man from a holy God. But it was the love of God that sent his son to be born of a virgin, to bridge that separation. The very thought should cause our heart to overflow with great joy. And the promise of Isaiah 9, 6, the promise uh, found in Genesis that the seed of the woman would bruise the heel of the serpent, the promise made to Abraham that in his seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, and all the promises uttered by the mouths of God's prophets since the world began, the promises of the Messiah setting mankind free uh, from the bondage of sin, Israel's glory and the world's hope is now a reality. The Savior's come into the world, not for the purpose of judgment, but for the purpose of salvation, not to punish the guilty, but to forgive. He's come not to uh, judge the sin, the sin of stain that's upon each heart, but to remove it. He's come to guarantee grace and gentleness. He's come to seek and save the lost. And he's come to set the captives free. It's as if the angels were saying, Rejoice, O sinners everywhere. For the Savior of the fallen is born. Right? The Savior who is mighty to save is born among men. It's reason to rejoice unrestrained. I mean, just imagine if you can. This week I've just tried to put my, myself in the shoes of the shepherds. Just try to imagine, if you can, these shepherds out in the field at night and suddenly this glorious light shining about them. An angel declaring to them that the Savior has been born in the city of David. Christ the Lord has come into the world being laid in a manger. And then suddenly, 
a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, it says in verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. I mean, imagine the surprise. Imagine the fear. <laughs> imagine the magical excitement. Imagine the awe. Imagine seeing hundreds of thousands of angels praising God. The shepherds, they didn't stop to question it, but we read in verse 15, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, then the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. The simplicity of their faith is commendable. Right? They didn't say, hey, let's go see if these things are true. They said, let's go and see these, the things that has come to pass. Right? They were persuaded uh, even before they saw it. Right? And they came to the stable and found Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus lying in the manger. And it says in verse 17, Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled. It was so wonderful, so awesome, the things that they were telling them. They all marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Think of Mary. I mean, we sang the song. What it all must have meant to her. Think of her as she's lovingly looking down upon her baby boy lying there in that manger. Right? Counting his fingers and toes as a mother would. Kissing his cheek, thanking God for a healthy son. Little could she imagine the events that lie ahead, the cross that he would bear. It says in verse 20, Then the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. You know, no doubt this story is the sweetest story ever told. You know, the coming to the earth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, we don't normally think of it in this way. At Christmas, we celebrate Christ's birth, his coming into the world to save sinners. But let's remember, he's coming again to take us home, right? And he's coming very soon, I believe. People need to get ready for his second coming for the rapture of the church, right? People need to get right with him today because he may be coming tonight. If it's not tonight, I'm convinced it's tomorrow morning. I, I believe it's soon. I believe it's very soon. And we as a people, we as individuals should voluntarily yield our wills to him who has given himself for us. It's through our obedience that we display our love and appreciation for our Savior. Jesus was born to die. He came so that sinners might be saved. He lived a sinless life that was, from the very beginning, lived in the shadow of the cross. He came that he might offer forgiveness to all. Forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performed. It's, it meets the greatest need, and it costs the greatest price, and it brings the greatest blessing, which yields an 
an everlasting reward to those who will receive Christ as their Savior. You know, people come to the Lord, as, as I think about it, people come to the Lord for various reasons. Some come to Him because their broken heart, right? And they've learned that Jesus is the one that, that heals broken hearts. Others come because of a yearning which they've unsuccessfully tried to satisfy in this world. Others come bowed down with shame and grief because of the wicked, wasted life that they've lived. And others, they come because they've heard that there's joy and gladness to be found in Jesus. The reason that a person comes to Christ is not important. What's important is the recognition of a need for a Savior and that they then come. Right? And everyone who comes, we've experienced it. Everyone who comes experiences overwhelming grace. And they're received with, by the open arms of a loving, merciful king. But we all must come as sinners, confessing our sin, for it's only sinners that Jesus came to save. So my suggestion to you all, my suggestion to myself, is tomorrow morning when we gather around uh, as a family to open up presents, I suggest that we take time to remember that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's rejoice this evening, tomorrow morning, and every day after in our Savior, knowing that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, born of a virgin, came to save sinners, dying on a cross, taking our penalty, uh, absorbing the wrath of God our sins deserved, right? Rising the third day, and now he's at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. That is a reason to rejoice with exceedingly great joy. Let's pray. Lord, I pray you would fill us afresh, fill us anew with an awe of what you've done for us. God, coming as a babe, being tempted in all ways like ourselves, yet without sin, going to the cross because of our sin, dying for us that, that we might be saved, shedding your blood that we might be cleansed. Lord, we want to give you glory. And I just pray that you would work in us just a greater understanding of the depth of your love that would move you to do such a thing on our behalf. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. We want to give you praise and glory this Christmas season and, Lord, every day for the rest of our lives, Lord, because you're worthy of that glory. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.